0: Now in the studio we have the um, we have the Pillowforts resident historian. I wasn't hadn't told him that I've like claimed him as yet. Um, but we 've had him on the show before, and so because he 's been on the show before, I thought well he 's ours now i 'm going to like and it, and it sounds really professional too, like mm, resident historian. Does. you know it Can does. you put that on your cV at all? I wonder
1: I can put that up in
0: caught one <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent so we have um, when I uh, spoke to Tyler the other night. Um, I basically said let's talk about something really obscure so I didn't know what he was actually going to come in and and talk about today but we've just had a bit of a chat while the last couple of songs were playing and um, we kind of... There was something very topical in the news, and I would kind of mentioned it earlier, some cultural diarrhoea around the place uh, at the moment. I don't know if you've read the ODT today, but of course someone has been delivering anti-Semitic leaflets around North Dunedin, and of course if you're from South Dunedin you'll know that um, the National Front slogan, it's okay to be white, has been up and around the place. Um so when he uh, when Tyler mentioned something about you know the right wing and um, the history of the right wing and especially in relations to the free speech debate that is going on I thought yeah yeah let 's talk about that <laughs> so um yeah let 's talk about that
1: yeah, so the first thing when it comes to sort of those real fringe reactionary politics in New Zealand. The first thing is that New Zealand didn't have a fascist movement in the 30s. Um, Most of the Anglosphere did, there was one in Australia, there was one in Canada, Um, and most of the countries that became affected by fascism, being invaded by it, did actually have their own fascist movement. So New Zealand has sort of considered itself unique um, for not having this big fascist movement. Um, But the thing is, that doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of people sympathetic to far-right ideas going right back, um, even to the end of the 19th century. Um, And I think, personally, and the literature kind of alludes to this, that the the white New Zealand policy, which began coming into existence at the very end of the 1870s and the 1880s onward, um, and was formalised in 1920 with the Immigration Amendment Act 1920, meant that A lot of groups that were around, the groups like the White Race League, um, the Anti-Asiatic League, uh, there were leagues against the Irish, um, the Chinese in particular, as well as Asians in general, against Southern Europeans, Um, they didn't really have anything to push for because this legislation already existed. Um, So when you get to the 30s, you do have groups around that could have become fascist organizations. A lot of the social credit movement, which was very big at the time, um, was either low-key sympathetic to Hitler and Mussolini, or otherwise was quite openly anti-Semitic. Mm. And you also have the New Zealand League, which is sort of a conservative protest movement that only existed for a year or so, but was organized along military lines into divisions, um, and did have a kind of aura about it of sort kind of national rehabilitation, some very uh, nationalist myth making, but they kind of dissipated, and some of it went on to become sympathisers of fascism in, in, in very distant corners, and others became more mainstream conservatives and S- so
0: with the, basically, they were they were all make New Zealand great again.
1: They they were make New Zealand great again, um, but they definitely weren't in that original wave of fascism that was mm. was sort of. Um, futurist and in its own way almost uh, utopian but with you know those sort of dark undertones that would never go away mm-hmm. um, but there were definitely sympathizers and that has held up until today there's not really any descendants of those groups around because you have this big split when world war Two happens and most people are kind of new zealand patriots it's this patriotic war against fascism mm-hmm either helping motherland um, for the right or for many on the left it was um, sort of a patriotic duty to defeat this um, awful fascist beast overseas and it was viewed in a kind of internationalist light. you would go out and you'd be helping people from Europe who are under the thumb of fascism Mm. so there's this big split and after that um, you do have groups like the original Nazi party of New Zealand which only appeared in about 1967. don't really have any links to what came before but there has been like a fascist scene in new zealand for about 50 years at this point so
0: i mean it's um kind of i'm like really glad that you know you say that we've never had a huge fascist scene in this country um, I remember uh, reading something I think it was on Teara the Encyclopedia mm. of New Zealand about the uh, Prime Minister from the 20s saying, um, saying that you know certain people in this country would prefer that it is white only
1: Yeah, it was actually um, here's one of the things that doesn't get talked about very much um, by any of the parties because they're all complicit in it. Um, There was basically an agreement across all of the parties, Reform and United, which would eventually become National, and Labour, that they wanted Aryan immigrants to New Zealand. Um, And that was kind of the motivating factor behind all of these white New Zealand policies, was they wanted british citizens to immigrate over you actually had a group called the five million league which was wanted mass immigration but it wanted um british only mass immigration to new zealand to make a big great country but not one that's polluted by those you know um bad races
0: and i mean when we talk about bad races we i mean it's not like the or at least my understanding that the view was not like all whites was it? It mm. was like no, even mm. even within like whites and European races as yeah. such. Um, then there's, according to their thinking, there's good ones and there's bad mm. ones. So I mean, you rule out like the Irish. Um, I'm assuming even, oh, well, not so much the Scottish, perhaps.
1: Not the Scottish. Definitely the Irish. Although yeah. the Irish was partially motivated by um, a fear that Irish Fenianism would come to New Zealand and inspire sort of revolutionary politics here as much as it was that they thought the Irish were subhumans. There's a very good PhD thesis by a local, Phil Ferguson, Um, that's on the white New Zealand policy and how it came to be and the sort of race science that appeared in New Zealand as it appeared throughout the entire um, western world in the later 19th century had this very unique belief that not only were the Maori peoples dying they were going to merge with these British immigrants and between sort of this primal pretty racist vision of a sort of primal um, noble savage but like a powerful quite bright noble savage mm. and the brains of the british people they were going to create this new super race and the aryan race would be a merger of maori and british which is some pretty bong rip crazy stuff and rooted in yeah. some awful racism yeah. but because of that what they most feared was um not only asians and that was a huge fear across the sphere was asian immigration it wasn't unique to new zealand or that was particularly bad here but also a fear of other Europeans coming into the mix and diluting um, this kind of uh, British brilliance that they were going to bring to New Zealand and implant here. So you did have a lot of laws that, uh, um, particularly against Dalmatians, uh, part of modern-day Croatia, they really didn't like people from the Slavic peoples, people from the Balkans coming here. Uh, in the context of World War I, there were laws against Germans and quote-unquote Austrians, but that included everyone in the ex-Austrian Empire, so it included uh, North Italians and Austrians and and Hungarians and a lot of different Slavs, (laughs) and those were held on after Mm -hmm. the war as part of the white New Zealand policy, so they were really interested in the only people who weren't British immigrating, either coming from other whites from other British colonies, or maybe a handful of sort of Western Europeans who were at the same level of sort of racial development. So So it's
0: kind of like, it's okay to be white, but you've got to be the right kind of white
1: yeah it's amazing um i've got a friend who used to go on the Stormfront forums back in the day when that was the big thing and he would throw out um what was basically an atomic weapon into their forums and ask whether italians are white and just create a huge shitstorm because a lot on the a lot of people on the far I haven't even decided whether italians or the irish count yet um <laughs> It's incredible if you go through those forums and read it. <laughs> uh,
0: now I, I want to come back to this, but we're going to play a song now. Stick around with us. We've got uh, Tyler West, who is our, the Pillow Fort's resident historian, mm. uh, in the studio with us today. And we're having a bit of a, a fascinating conversation about the, the far right. And, um, yeah... Yeah, you with the pillow fort, listening to <coughs> Radio 1 from 12 to 2 every Friday. We'll be back with you soon. Um, coming up shortly, I thought I'd bring you some Bootsy Collins with I Would Rather Be With You. Um, I've got the resident historian of the Pillow Fort, Tyler West, in the studio with me today. And we have been talking about the... Um, because it's topical and it's in the news, we've been talking about the history of the far right in New Zealand. And before we uh, we went away for a couple of songs there, um, we were about up to the 1960s or 1970s. So that post-World, oh, yeah. that post-World War II. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So um, you were saying, like, uh, just when we were off here that... Um, We've 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 definitely had some do-gooders in New Zealand, like some of the churches after mm. World War II. Mm. They've been pretty strong pro kind of refugee and taking mm. refugees and things like that.
1: Yeah, um, it, it's not only that. A lot of we um, had especially after World War II the formation of a lot of human rights groups that would go to bat for refugees, regardless of where they were from, every time. Um, but it, it is a, a good example of how. Um, this sort of politics sort of adapts itself again and again and again. Um, when you had so the aftermath of World War Two, when anti-Semitism was um, no longer as permissible as it had been before, although it never went away, I always stress anti-Semitism never went away. Um, you had people who would sort of adapt each new group of people coming to New Zealand, and refugees were especially hot topic because um, they were always politicised. Uh, it was always a group of people coming all at once, even if it was a really small number, which it always was. New Zealand's n- never really had um, huge numbers of refugees come at once, except in the instance of the aftermath of World War Two, when huge numbers of refugees from Europe went to every country that would take them. But you had people who were opposed to refugees from Cambodia and Vietnam, um, people who were opposed to refugees... Uh, from the asian african community who were expelled during Idi armin's um, africanization policy and then later on it was uh ethiopians and people from the horn of africa during the famines in the late 1980s and early 1990s so it's changed time and time again um into the modern era yeah,
0: and of course that brings us to the syrians here in Danaean. yeah yeah
1: and because um, there is a
0: bit of a history of the the right wing, the, the far right in Dunedin, this there? Mm.
1: There, There is a little bit. Um, the League of Rights, which was kind of the reactionary, um, quite virulently anti-Semitic wing of uh, the Social Credit Party who were purged in the early 70s, they had a branch in Dunedin. It was one of their larger branches. Um, and even into the late 1980s, the Social Credit Party was still um, rooting out these League of the Right members was, was banned in the party to be a dual member of Social Credit and um, the League of the Right but even into the late 1980s they were uprooting Dunedin candidates or Dunedin officials in the party who would turn out to be um, you know when you got them on the topic um, subscribers to the League of Rights um, paper and personally very very vehemently anti-Semitic and Holocaust denies and stuff like that so they've been around in Dunedin for decades now um, and then in the 1990s, when the white power movement was really getting on its feet, um, Dunedin was one of the cities that had um, an unusually large number of members of white power gangs um, during that sort of very grim, economically depressed era when you did have a lot of uh, dispossessed um, young, working class white, m- usually men who were willing to get into that sort of politics. Um, And mostly had many who were um, in opposition to them as well. But Dunedin's always had that. Um, In recent years, they have had a bit more trouble. The right-wing resistance tried to expand into Dunedin five, six, seven years ago and didn't get anywhere. But they do appear to be um, not quite making waves, but attempting with Dunedin yet again.
0: Yeah, and of course um, there was the... The recent kind of planned rally, which was going to happen kind of in North Dunedin, which kind of fizzled out when I think they got wind that enough people were like, Oi, you know. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, and, and, you know, I live in South Dunedin, and I've actually spoken about it on this um, show before, where the, the posters that are put up out there periodically, it's okay to be white, which is the, the National Front slogan. Um, which I i will freely admit that, you know, if you've been putting up those posters and you've been wandering through town a few days later and then been taken down, it was me. Mm. I did it. Um, and I'm not ashamed to, to do it, too, because South Dunedin is actually quite a multicultural um, community with lots of different groups, and it's pretty harmonious, too. I mean, I'm from South Auckland, um, so I know what it's like to come from a community which is divided, and divided mainly for political reasons, um, in order to basically disenfranchise an entire population mm. um, keep them low wage in crappy schools for their kids and mm. um, in jobs with little benefits for them. Um, and I certainly don't want to see that happen anywhere else in the country and even then South Auckland is awesome, I will say it time and time again. Um, I love South Auckland, there will always be a part of me there, my parents still live there and the houses are now worth a
1: million dollars. Yeah. Not any better, but worth a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, which my parents' house is worth a million dollars, and that's great for them, but they can't actually afford to sell it because they can't afford to move anywhere else. Mm. <laughs> um, which is something about the state of Auckland. Um, anyway, we, um, so that's been a little bit of a history of uh, the Dunedin Far Right. We're going to play a couple of songs, and then we are going to come back and talk about Um, the free speech issue, because Mm, this ties into everything that's going on and is also probably a part of the reason why this stuff is happening in Dunedin. So do stick with us, because it has been an interesting conversation and good to know about our community. Uh, We've got a couple of New Zealand tracks coming up. We've got Sal Valentine with Maxine. But up before that, we've got the Callies which shoot this gun. You're listening to The Pillow Fort on Radio 1. the studio with the uh, Pillow Fort's resident historian, Tyler West, and we've been talking about the right-wing history of New Zealand, um, and it has been a fascinating conversation, and we're going to have a podcast of this at some stage, so like our Facebook page, so uh, because I'm going to put it there, uh, The Pillow Fort on Radio 191 FM, look for us on Facebook, and um, you'll be able to see all the cat photos that I share, because that's pretty (laughs) much mostly what I put up there. Um, But... Lauren Southern and mm. Stefan Molyneux, for those people who don't know, this has been the free speech argument that has been brewing. Phil Goff up in Auckland, the mayor there, he uh, banned them from council venues. Um, and I guess we should know a little bit about these people. Um, yeah, so Tyler, tell yeah. us up.
1: so uh, Molyneux's been around a while. He was just sort of a run-of-the-mill libertarian on YouTube for a long time, who uh, might annoy some people, I think is philosophically pretty daft, but... Pretty harmless, but these days he's um, getting in, getting himself involved in a lot of arguments around sort of race science, particularly the stuff that came out in the 90s um, about race and IQ, which is very much bunk science mm-hmm. and quite obviously uh, quite obvious where the motivation comes from. Uh, and Southern is a Canadian, um, I think they're both Canadian actually, uh, sort of alt light um, not in the same wing as say Richard Spencer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, media personality, essentially, who was involved in an effort to uh, hire out a boat to sail around the Mediterranean and turn back uh, migrant boats back to Libya, mm. especially which um, a had, ver- if they had succeeded, very likely would have killed a lot of people um, because some of those boats were sinking as they were going, um, and c turned into a hilarious expensive failure because. Uh, they couldn't get port anywhere, and for a while they were trying to get uh, immigr they no, trying to um, pull into port in Egypt and they couldn't and they were kind of illegal immigrants in Africa, which I think is um fitting and hilarious.
0: Yes, that is very hilarious actually um, You go somewhere to protest illegal immigration and end up becoming an illegal immigrant and mm. then then do you push your own boat back out into the Mediterranean?
1: I think they eventually wound up in Spain, or they maybe got poured in Italy they wound up back to shore eventually yeah (laughs) (laughs) um
0: and i mean because the free speech debate there is uh, there seems to be this absolutism around free speech isn't there and yet that's that's historically that's never really been the case has it there's always been groups for whom free speech is not allowed
1: yeah um in new zealand uh, the clearest example will probably be Parihaka, of course, because pacifist commune that wasn't really breaking any laws, mm. at least not sufficiently to—I mean, bullshit laws in the first place—but not sufficient to warrant the enormous state response mm. that um, sacked the township. And then it, it goes forward. There was the massive suppression of free speech during both world wars, especially of. Um, Uh, communist and socialist organisations who were uh, very ardent opponents of um, sending troops overseas and there are plenty of other examples throughout history in New Zealand. Yeah, and
0: and, I mean, I was telling you while we were off air there that um, it seems like those most ardently defending free speech um, are those who aren't actually at the rough end of free speech so it's very easy for for example, you know some of our national broadcasters who very much fit a wealthy kind of white demographic. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Nothing wrong with being white, until the revolution comes. But, um, <laughs> but um, you know, so it's not like it's different when someone is saying it's it's you, you know, pointing the finger at at, at yourself and. Them saying, you know, you're the cockroach. Um, mm. You know, I'm not saying that we. I'm not saying that we should kill you. I'm just saying that, you know, I think it would be best if you all went away. You know, these kind of statements, um, uh, which kind of gets on my gut a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean they're very thin-skinned people as well, a, lot, a, a number of them, Don Brash in particular, are notoriously litigious, um, and most of the big names in this free speech coalition supported the terror raids in late, to, in late 2007, early 2008, which was probably the most egregious violation of uh, basic democratic rights in recent New Zealand history, given um, that it eventually turned out that the charges were bogus.
0: Yes they were, weren't they? Um, and at most they got them on firearms charges. Um, mm. and uh yeah, I knew someone who was on the jury actually <laughs> and um he never said anything. But whenever the conversation came up and, and um you know they, they the it was mentioned that they, you know, they found them not guilty, how could they do that? He would just kind of sit back and just nod his head. That's mm. all he would he just mm. nod his head. Um, which I thought was good of him. Um, so, I mean, these these people, we've got them in Auckland. Um, the venue that they're going to be at is not actually going to be announced until the day of because um, they're obviously worried that people are going to counter-protest. And, and often when people counter-protest, it can be said that the counter-protesters are um, trying to shut down the free speech of the other people. But isn't that a bit of a weird argument?
1: yeah it it veers into territory that essentially claims not that free speech is an absolute good but that public order is an absolute good um which of course it's it's a pretty you know bogus statement it's certainly not the kind of free speech absolutism that people involved with the coalition would claim because it does essentially say that from some free speech is more important than others mm. um because when it comes to counter protests they are um Insofar as you think that uh, kind of very rigid adherence to laws around protests is a good thing, there's really nothing wrong with them. Um, and I think also, in part, it's because the uh, the company organising this tour uh, down south um, in Australia, Axmatic Events, uh, does have um, some fairly close connections with the the open Australian neo-Nazi scene. Um, For example, the uh, events in Australia, the speeches in Australia, have hired um, members of an out-and-out neo-Nazi organisation, the Lad Society, for security, um, and have had members of Antipodean resistance in their security, which is probably the most extreme, um, but not not yet the most violent, but definitely the most extreme of the neo-Nazi scene in Australia. And I would say that after um, the kind, not not quite chaos, but after the disorder of the first um, talk or two in Australia, they're really looking to minimise the chances of that in New Zealand, and be able to say at the end of it that they had at least one talk that was quote unquote unopposed, and they can show footage of no one turning up to counter protest and make it seem like that meant that um, and people were all on board with the mm. talk.
0: Now, if, if people would just happen to, like, go out in public and, you know, there just happen to be a bunch of them and they just kind of thought, well, you know what, I'd just like to do a, a hucka for, like, the next three hours. <laughs> That's free speech, isn't it? It is. Yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and if there were maybe several hundred or maybe even several thousand and, and they got together and, and they all just happened to decide to do huckers at the same time, that would be free speech, wouldn't it? It would, indeed. So, um... And culturally appropriate, I think, too. Mm. yeah. Um, so now, I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm just saying that people could do that. See there's a difference there, mm. isn't there? Which mm. is the kind of distinction that these other people tend to use when they're talking about stuff, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so I'm not encouraging you to do anything or like to contact your friends in Auckland and you know suggest that they do this kind of thing. Um, no, no, I wouldn't suggest that at all. Um, yeah, it would be interesting if people did do it, though, eh?
1: Mm, it would yeah. be interesting.
0: Mm, indeed, indeed. On an intellectual level, <laughs> I think. Anyway, um, I would like to thank Tyler West for being with us in the studio today. He's our, the Pillowfort's resident historian, um, which is the title that I've thrust upon him today. Mm. Um, and I'm sure at some stage we will be having him back on to talk about something like this or different things in the future. Who knows? We shall see how it goes. Now